Hello, microbe friends. I'm Dr. Justine Dees, and welcome to the Joyful Microbe Podcast. It's the show all about the microbes we encounter in our daily lives. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to share this show with you. Today, I'll be chatting with Dr. Jake Robinson, who is a microbial ecologist at Flinders University and researches microbes, ecosystems, social equity issues, and ways to conserve and restore nature. He studies how microbes can benefit human health and not just cause disease. He is also the author of the new book, Invisible Friends. I am so glad I got Jake to come on the podcast because you'll hear that we discuss a variety of super cool microbiology topics like the importance of microbes for building a strong immune system, balancing microbial exposure and targeted hygiene, how microbes in nature can enhance human health, what forensic microbiology is and applications of it as well as his book, Invisible Friends. And then he also shares a fun microbiology activity with us at the very end. Just so you know, we recorded this interview before his book, Invisible Friends, came out on March 7th, and also before I had a chance to read it. But since then, I read it, and I love it so much. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to love it too, because it's all about the positive and even weird and wonderful ways that microbes affect our lives, which, you know, we're all about on Joyful Microbe. All right, this is a really fun interview, so please enjoy. Hey, Jake, thanks so much for coming on the Joyful Microbe podcast. Hi, Justine. Thanks for inviting me. This is great. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, me too. So you are a microbial ecologist, and we're going to chat about some of the various microbiology topics you work on, like the relationship between the environment, the microbiome, and human health. Forensic microbiology, which is super cool, as well as your book called Invisible Friends. So I'm very excited to learn about some areas of microbiology that we haven't touched yet on the podcast. Um, But to start off, could you just give us a brief overview of your research topics and interests? Yeah, sure. So so my main focus and main research area, like you say, is on... um, so researching how the trillions of different microbes living in the environment, um, so the environments that surround us, how, how these microbes affect our health, and um, mostly in beneficial ways. So, you know, we've had this sort of 150-year-old sort of perception of microbes as, as the, they're sort of evil and they cause diseases. Um, but in the last couple of decades, we've started to realise that microbes actually play really important roles in our health as well. Um, so that's one of my main research areas. Um, but I'm also really interested in how microbes uh, play different important roles in the ecosystems around us as well. Um, so, you know, the ecosystems are these these sort of communities of plants and animals um, and microbes play really important roles in how these systems work. Um, and perhaps we'll talk a little bit about this later, but also, I'm also interested um, in, in uh, how microbes might be able to be used in uh, forensic investigations as well. So I've worked with forensic scientists. I'm not a forensic scientist myself, um, but I've worked with them and I've yeah, written on this topic as well. So yeah, those are some of the areas I w- I've worked in. 
Yeah. Well, that's really neat. Um, Okay, so when it comes to the relationship between the environment, the microbiome, and human health, can you give us some examples so we can like wrap our heads around that a little bit better? Yeah, sure. Um, So it might be worth sort of providing some context for this. So um, if we if we kind of imagine jumping in a time machine and going back five hundred million years, um, so this is when vertebrates first evolved. So these are animals with backbones um, and so humans are vertebrates as well um, and around that time microbial communities that lived in and on animals they became more numerous and more complex and they started forming these um, sort of tight-knit relationships with the animals that they lived in um, and so eventually we have what's called this uh, mutual symbiosis going on where microbes and their hosts depend on each other for their survival um, and then if we jump in the time machine, go forward a few hundred million years, um, this is when mammals first evolved. Um, so this is really um, in the middle of the Jurassic period, when there's lots of dinosaurs roaming the earth. Um, so mammals first evolved in this period. So, um, you know, as Brontosaurus and Allosaurus is, is storming around the, the planet, we, we also would see these um, these small mammals as well, these fleet-footed mammals scurrying around. So. Um, the mammals of the time would look like uh, badgers and, and rodents um, that we see today. Um, and importantly, they lived underground, so they were um, really in close contact with the soil. Um, and over thousands and thousands of years, our ancestors, so these mammals, they were, they were coated, they were they literally bathed and breathed in soil microbes. Um, and because of this, they also formed this really close-knit relationship with the microbes, and they've helped um, shape our immune systems um, and so various other parts of our physiology um, in the mammals we see today, so humans, for example, um, have been shaped um, through, through these um, close relationships with the microbes um, over thousands and thousands of years. Um, and so our immune systems today, the things that protect us from pathogens and the things that prevent um, diseases, these have been shaped by the microbes in the environment over evolutionary periods. Um, and so... If we zoom to the current day, um, which we often refer to as the Anthropocene, um, so this uh, this is characterised by humans living in these densely urbanised environments. So we've sort of removed ourselves from our natural ancestral environment. Um, and this removal of ourselves from nature is um, thought to be having these detrimental roles on our, our health. Um, uh, so, for example, immune diseases are rapidly rising as biodiversity decreases. Um, and so, we, so along with lots of our colleagues, we're sort of studying um, how the different microbes in the environment um, sort of train our immune systems, I suppose, um, and how, because we've removed ourselves from the environments, how diseases are increasing. Um, to, perhaps I could give an analogy for the immune system that... Mm-hmm. Um, Professor Graham Rook from London, he's an uh, an immunologist, and he likens the immune system at birth, so the human immune system at birth, to a computer. Um, So he says we have, at birth, we have the hardware, so this is um, the cellular structures of our immune systems, and we also have the software, and so this is the the genes that encode for proteins, Um, but the thing that's missing in our immune system at birth is data. And so much like a computer, um, a computer program, for example, we need data to train it in order for it to work efficiently. Um, and so the data he's referring to is um, microorganisms. 
Um, and so it's really, really important for us to be exposed to millions of different species um, from a young age in order to train what's called our innate and our adaptive immune systems. Um, and if we're not exposed to enough of these different microbial species from the environment, then this is when we start seeing these immune diseases and um, yeah, things like that. So, so that's kind of how what, what we study. Um, um, so yeah, study the, what environments might be best for our exposure to health promoting microbes, um, and then also how we could potentially restore or design these environments um, in mm. order to promote these health promoting interactions. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so if you have yeah, any questions, yeah. then feel free. To, <laughs> yeah, well. In a way, it almost reminds me of like when we're kids, we have to meet other kids to make friends and know who's good and who's bad and who we get along with and don't get along with. Yeah. And if we don't make friends and do that as children, then it's harder as adults to have good social relationships. And so in a way, yeah. it's kind of like our immune system learning from a young age what's good and who's good and who's bad microbially. Exactly, and yeah. And then, you know, being kind of wise as it gets older and understanding how to respond to these different microbes and encounters later in life. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good, when you- yeah, it's good analogy, actually, yeah. Yeah, so I suppose if you – I know, like, my dogs, for example, if they're not exposed to other dogs, then they become yeah. really nervous and they start barking at other dogs when they're older, so – yeah, I suppose yeah. it's a similar sort of thing. You need to be exposed to these different <laughs> microorganisms in order to you know, function later in life, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so it seems like this is getting to be kind of a problem, though, because we have such a a clean world that we live in today. Yeah. So... Um, I kind of it would be interesting to talk about that a little bit more. Like, where are we headed mm. with this, and and what what can we do to, to yeah, help sure. ourselves? Yeah, so there's this theory called the old friends hypothesis, and this is um, basically what I've just said that we've co-evolved with these microbes over thousands of years, um, and yeah, by removing ourselves from nature and being overly clean and sort of you know preventing ourselves from playing in dirt when we're young, etc., um, then we have these immune diseases. Um, it's really important, though, to say that hygiene is super important. So there's the hygiene hypothesis as well. And I think people have kind of got um, a misconception about this. And they sort of, they sort of think that we, we may be being too hygienic. Um, but that's a kind of the difference between um, being hygiene. There's a kind of difference between being hygienic and being exposed to sort of natural biodiversity. Mm. Um, so targeted hygiene, as they say, is really important. So things like cleaning your hands, toilets, um, food preparation areas, these sorts of things. Because mm-hmm. um, if, we, if we're not hygienic, then we can also give ourselves diseases. <laughs> but it's a sort yeah, of... Yeah, that's a, a good point. Of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we don't want to take it too far in the other <laughs> direction either because, yeah, we need to wash our hands after we go to the bathroom and exactly, yeah. <laughs> make sure that we're not, um, yeah, like you said, being un. Care, like not being careful in the kitchen and stuff. yeah exactly so it's this, this sort of mass sterilization is the issue and the sort of um you know removing ourselves from biodiverse environments where there's lots of plants animals and microbes yeah and i think that kind of goes to this concept that i saw you wrote a paper called microbiome inspired green infrastructure mm-hmm. it sounds really complicated but i have a feeling it's not that complicated if you break it down for us but um 
can you kind of explain how I feel like that's kind of that mass sterilization where we're removed from environments that have as much exposure to the natural world? Yeah, exactly. So perhaps it's worth um, just defining what green infrastructure is first, because that's probably mm-hmm. the, the most yeah. unusual term there. Um, so this is so green infrastructure is essentially the sort of networks of um, natural environments, mostly occur in urban areas, for example. So many of our urban areas are designed specifically um, uh, with sort of what's called ecosystem services in mind. So the natural environments provide these services that humans benefit from. Um, For example, um, green roofs, um, they can provide this thermal um, thermal role to keep our buildings cool. Trees keep our streets cool, for example. Um, many plants, uh, many plants, planted ecosystems can um, help reduce the effects of floods, for example. These sorts of things. So our ecosystems play these important roles um, for humans. And so green infrastructure, you'll see is the parks, the street trees, etc. You'll see all these these natural um, features around. Um, and the idea of microbiome-inspired green infrastructure is more, it's a sort of concept to, um, I suppose, promote considerations for the microbial roles in these this green infrastructure. Um, so whether that's um, the roles in human health, so like we've just spoken about, so we could plant diverse um, plant communities in order to promote human health via the immune system. Um, but also microbes, as I said, play all lots and lots of different roles in how an, an ecosystem functions. Um, so microbes are involved in plant health, animal health, um, nutrient cycling, all these different things. And so without microbes, the ecosystems would collapse. Um, and so this is really a sort of a, a concept just to promote um, the microbial world in this this line of thinking, I suppose. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So... Are there kind of some real life examples around the world that you could give? Um, Or is this just more common than I'm realizing, like besides trees and parks? um, What are some other examples? And then are are there any examples that are kind of taking it a step further beyond parks and trees that that are kind of even – you know, just more complex than yeah. than just the simple things that we've done for a long time. Yeah, so some of our research has shown that um, the more different kinds of species of trees and the more different kinds of species of plants um, that you have in an area, the more diverse the microbiome is in the air. So um, this is the, probably the most important source of microbes that we're exposed to because obviously we, we sort of literally bathe in the air every single day. We each of us emits a million biological particles every hour but we're also breathing in millions of um, microbes at the same time and so these microbes could settle in the human body and have these important roles in our health Um, and so we've shown things like yeah so increasing the diversity of plant species could um, improve the quality of the air the aerobiome in the air the microbes in the air Um, and so this is one line of thinking we should really be increasing the diversity of plants in our ecosystems um so yeah so there's an example in finland um where these finnish researchers are um they're, they're sort of hybrid they're like a immunologists but also environmental scientists um and so they study this interaction between microbes in the environment and how it affects our immune system and they've done a recent study which is really interesting so they took a load of schools in finland um 
where they were quite the schoolyards were quite desolate, so there was hardly any nature in them. And then what they did is half of those schoolyards they they brought in forest floor materials, so things like soil and plants, etc., um, from the local environment. And then they found that after twenty seven days, the children playing in these two different school environments, their microbiomes were significantly different. So the microbes on their skin and the microbes in their guts, um, they were significantly different. And what they also found is that the biodiverse schoolyards, so the schoolyards with these different plants and soil, etc., um, they increased the diversity of microbes in the children, but they also enhanced uh, their immune systems as well. And so this is just some an example of how we can sort of intervene um, by bringing in different plant species, for example, to improve human health. That is so interesting that mm. they did that in Finland and they saw um, they saw some differences there. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, it's really, really neat. So so I'm kind of curious to see if there are ways that we as just like individuals not in a study, you know, or anything like that, if we can apply these concepts in some ways to our own lives hmm. and, and like maybe even in our homes. I mean, is hmm. that something that we could do with houseplants? Is that even possible to – to add more houseplants and then change the air that we're breathing in our houses? Does that even sound like something, you know, that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally does. So I think you'd probably have to add quite a few houseplants, um, but yes, mm-hmm. to, to see a difference. Um, but yeah, definitely. And my, my, our house is sort of plastered with houseplants. So, um, yeah. But yes. Um, but yeah, some things like, uh, you know, spending more time outdoors preferably in mm. biodiverse environments so these are ones with lots of different plant species and lots of different animals for example rather than these kind of monoculture environments where it's just you know like a sports sports pitch or something is kind of considered as a monoculture environment um, whereas mm. if you go to a woodland with lots of um, you know trees and plants etc that's probably more beneficial um, there's also a concept called nature connectedness so this is um, our sort of emotional and our cognitive connection with the natural world um, and you can do if you like um, your listeners could sort of just type this into google for example and there's various nature connectedness activities that you can do in order to boost your the way you feel the way your relationship with nature and so this is really important because it it sort of then makes you want to spend more time in nature as well because you feel more connected to it um this is another thing that's happened to us over the last you know few decades we've removed our souls from nature and so with our nature connectedness Mm. has become much lower as well um which is quite kind of sad isn't it um but yeah, so some of the things, like you said, you can bring nature to you. So not everybody has um, biodiverse environments around them. Um, so there's that kind of social equity issue there where, you know, some people live in these densely urban environments mm. where there's not much, there's not, there aren't many parks. So um, some things you could do, like you said, is bring house plants to you. Um, yeah, that kind of thing, you know, have, have little plant boxes on your window ledges, these sorts of things. Um yeah, just try not to be afraid of dirt, I suppose. So as we said yeah. before, targeted hygiene is really important, but it's like sort of elimination of natural dirt from our life that's probably the issue. Um, and then there's the diet as well. So as well as being exposed to microbes just from walking around or interacting with plants, etc., then um, most of our, a lot of our microbes come from our diet. So um, there are microbes living in, in and on our foods, but also the foods that we eat promote... Um, yeah healthier microbiome inside our bodies as well 
So, yeah, so bring nature to you, yeah. spend as much time in nature as you can and have a diverse diet. Um, I think the word diversity is key in a lot of this. <laughs> Seems to yeah. Be. Yeah, that's really interesting and making sure that we're trying your best to be, you know, if at all possible to be exposed to diverse species mm. of plants and um, things outside. And it's, it's, it's just funny that it's also tied together in that way. And, and I think, you know, I've uh, heard that even just, it helps our mental health as well, just to be outside and in a forest or being even exposed to the color green. And it's kind of just neat how that all ties together. and And it's like even related to microbiology that it affects our immune systems as well. Exactly, yeah. So, so yeah, so there's all these different what we call in the research, these different pathways to health. Um so mm-hmm. you've just mentioned one of them. This is a psychological pathway of, you know, seeing these diverse species and the green and what's called fractal patterns. So these are these repeating patterns that occur throughout nature. And yeah, yeah. seeing these things have a really important impact on our mental health. Um, but then there's a biological pathway, which is more about what we more of what we're talking about now, being exposed mm-hmm. to the biological things in nature yeah. yeah and there's the social pathway as well so um so yeah natural environments provide this really important area for to socialize for example physical exercise these sorts of things so yeah we need more nature in our life <laughs> yeah yep oh man i mean like you said about your house is filled with houseplants minus yeah. two i have oh, nice. a lot <laughs> like more <laughs> than i can you know Oh, sometimes more than I feel like watering, even though I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I want to move on to talk about forensic microbiology just because Mm -hmm. this was a topic that one of my friends brought up that they wanted to hear about. And um, then I found you and saw that you had written about it. And so Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what forensic microbiology is? Um, yeah, so I'm not a forensic scientist, just to say that first. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've worked with forensic scientists and, yeah, like you say, I've written about it. Um, so forensic microbiology, um, I suppose it really started the last few decades, uh, probably 1990-ish, when, you know, PCR, so this is um, um, something called polymerase chain reaction or PCR. So um, you may have actually heard of this recently because it's what's used in, in the COVID-19 tests in order mm-hmm. to, to detect the COVID-19 disease. Um, so, yeah, so this technology sort of uh, really inc- advanced in the 1990s and it allowed us to um, more rapidly identify different microbes from different uh, samples. Um, and so around... 2000, um, the year 2000, um, by something called bioterrorism became a really big thing when uh, people, uh, when terrorists were using um, biological agents to scare people. I suppose you know, there's the uh, the anthrax um, event. Mm. When was that? Sort of 2000. Anyway, it was 2000 something. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so some terrorists had, uh, put yeah the the anthrax bacterium in in some letters mm-hmm. and sent it around to people. You you guys probably know mm-hmm. more about this than me. Um, but yeah, so so the government put a lot of money into this, um, trying to be able to identify where these bacteria came from and then potentially link it to who the the perpetrator. Um, and so yeah, lots of money was put into it then. Um, and then the last decade, a lot of um, 
money has also been put into studying microbial communities. So um, since there was a project called the Human Microbiome Project, and this was essentially an ecological survey of the entire human body. So trying to find out all the different microbes that live in our bodies and what roles they played in our health. Um, and so since this, technology has rapidly advanced and it's become a lot cheaper and a lot easier to be able to discover what kind of microbes are living in and on things. Um, and importantly, this means that we can now well, um, study the microbial communities and link it to crimes. For example, each one of us has our own signature microbial community in and on our bodies. Um, and so the thinking is now, can, can we sort of be able to differentiate between people based on their microbiome and what microbes they might leave behind at a crime scene? Um, these sorts of things. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, re it's ongoing research at the minute. Um, yeah. But yes. So, yeah, is so it is it more conceptual at this point, or how much hmm. is it really used currently? Yeah, so it is so from a micro, so from a community perspective, so looking at all the different microbes and then linking it to a person or a crime. Um, so it is quite conceptual. There's lots of research going on, um, but it's not accurate enough yet to be able to use in the court of law. Um, so yeah, so it's not necessarily conceptual it just means we it just means that we need to improve the accuracy yeah. of, of what yeah of the models that show us that yeah that, that link a person to a crime through the microbiome um so yeah i mean in the next few years again as technology keeps advancing and um the the, the ways we analyze the data advances i'm sure we'll see this being used in the court of law um particularly to to support other evidence as well um maybe not initially as the main source of evidence um but yeah i can see it playing a really important supportive role um in connecting yeah. in connecting a person to a crime for sure um, that's very cool mm. i i think that'll be microbiology will get even more um attention by yeah, <laughs> from yeah, the public sure. i think as that becomes something that's used more and more in court cases yeah exactly um so what are some ways that this could be used just as like mm. overall concepts? Yeah, so um, so yeah, uh, so I wrote a paper a couple of years ago on this sort of doing a, make, uh, it was basically a review of the different things uh, that microbes could be used um, to link a person to a crime, for example. Um, some of them include what's called geolocation. So um, by this, what I mean is that... Um, different soils contain different microbial communities um, and so they have their own sort of distinct signature and so for example if if someone um, walked through a soil and they had soil on their feet on their shoes um, you could potentially look at the microbes in in their on their shoe and then say ah this was from mm. xyz environment so that could be really important um, yeah. other things uh, trace evidence so Everything we touch, so our mobile phones, our keyboards, toothbrush, blah blah blah, um, everything we touch, we leave, we leave behind these microbes from our from our fingers. Um, and so, some researchers are looking at whether we can use the microbes that we leave behind as you know trace evidence, much like our fingerprints, but it just adds this extra layer of evidence, um, particularly in case if uh, you know human human uh, samples, human uh, cells, for example but not in large enough numbers to be useful to detectives, for example. Um, mm. Other things, there's really, in fact, one of the main uh, ways microbes are relevant to forensic science is through what's called post-mortem interval. And so um, this is the time uh, since death, so the time since a person died. Um, and this is really important to 
uh, yeah, be able to determine when when a person died or when the crime happened. Um, and so, what happens is as as a person dies, their their, their body, their physiology changes over time. Um, as you know, different microbes move into our bodies, and decomposition happens, much like it'll happen to you know vegetables that you put on your compost heap. Um, so our, our bodies change over time, and because our bodies change over time. Um, essentially the body's ecosystem changes and so what happens is different communities of microbes move in over time um, and in the ecological world this is called natural succession so you know forests as trees fall down um, new plants will move in and then the community becomes more mm. complex and then eventually so basically over time the ecosystem changes um, and the same thing happens to the human body over time yeah. after we die and so what you can do is you can pinpoint certain kinds of microbes to the certain uh, duration after death and then be able to estimate when a person wow. died. Yeah, that so that's cool. So there's lots of research going on. <laughs> and I think, that, yeah, it's totally fascinating. And I think that's one of the most advanced areas. Um, yeah. Um, so more sort of speculative stuff is, um, you know, being able to link uh, so yeah, so I wrote about what's called localization through animal microbiomes. Um, so, for example, if someone works in an animal industry, or if someone owns a certain mm. pet, then their pet's microbes can travel, transport onto the body or their clothing, etc. And then potentially you could um, link that to a person based on the animals they've been surrounded by. And um, that's a bit more speculative. Um, yeah, so other yeah. things are being able to. Um, identify a person based on their signature microbiome so as i said before we each have this kind of we each have different microbial communities um and i think the accuracy is something like 70 or 80 percent that you can identify a person based on their microbiome so it's pretty high it's just not um probably high enough to be able to use as the sole piece of evidence in a court of law but yeah maybe that'll change yeah briefly. it's so interesting because i could see this making crime a lot more difficult to get away with for people because you know hiding the already invisible things like it's like you can't even wrap your head around all the different things you'd have to try to wipe clean (laughs) you know Um, so yeah so i I always think that you may think you've gotten away with the crime but you're like (laughs) (laughs) yep yeah um so that this is just fascinating. Um, are there any specific stories of this being used besides the anthrax? Um, in any cases, um, so there are a couple where we've used kind of this genetic um, technology, um, which sort of linked to um, microbiology as well. So there's a story mm-hmm. which I write about in the book, um, actually Invisible Friends book. And there's a story about um, a dentist in Florida who. Um, this is sort of the early days when HIV was um, just kind of on the scene and the, the dentist inf- infected one of the patients. Um, mm. Yeah, and this, uh, they, they're able to use uh, this genetic material to link yeah, those, those two incidences, so the, first, the uh, dentist infecting the, the patient. So it's one of the first um, examples of using genetic material to yeah link a person to a crime mm. i suppose um unfortunately that dentist died of aids um, mm. but yeah so it's a quite a sad story but also the patient died yeah. as well um but you can google that story it's really interesting um which i talk more about in the book um yeah yeah and i mean some some investigators have linked uh, 
have used uh, what's called palynology, so studying um, the pollen grains from plants um, and fungal spores as well. I think these have been used in um, crime investigations as well, particularly linking um, a person to a particular environment. So, for example, like I said earlier, as you walk through soil, you're picking up different spores and microbes on your feet. Um, and so I think that's been used as well. Hmm. So, yes. Well, you mentioned your book, so I think it would be fun to talk about this a little bit. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what the book is going to be about? Um, yeah, so yeah, so the book's called Invisible Friends. Um, it's how microbes shape our lives and the world around us. Um, and I thought I'd take a slightly different turn in this book to um, really explore all the positive ways and maybe some of the weird and wonderful ways that microbes affect our lives instead of just talking about diseases all the time um mm -hmm. and yeah so listen to some quite a few of your podcasts and it's kind of a distillation of everything you you talk about on the show really and um, so it's quite a, a diverse diverse book lots of different subjects from you know how microbes influence our health that like we've spoken about on this podcast um you know how I talk about antibiotic resistance and how microbes play a role in social equity as well. Um, how microbes shape our behaviour, our thinking, our thought decisions, and our decisions. Sorry, um, yeah, and all sorts of things. How microbes are the glue that holds our ecosystems together. How microbes allow communication between plants. Um, how we can design urban environments to include microbes. Uh, I also include forensic microbiology. Um, there's a chapter called microbes in outer space that's quite interesting mm, um, that's cool. and again I talk more about the diet and how microbes um, affect our health through the diet as well so lots of different subjects so it's yeah it's a bit of a distillation of your podcast I'm really excited to read it and I love the title Invisible Friends because I think yeah. for a long time people have kind of thought of microbes or germs as germs, you know, and, and not really thought about yeah. the entire microbial world. And um, I think it's becoming more of a well-known concept, but it's definitely what's motivated me to talk about the topics that I do on the podcast. And um, so yeah. I'm excited to read this book and kind of discover more. But um, can you share a few cool stories or key concepts from the book? Yeah, so some of the books about my PhD journey, which finished a couple of years ago. Um, so I do talk about some of my research and the people I met, some of the experts from across the world. Um, and so some of the the rest of the book is I've actually interviewed some of these experts as well. Um, so yeah, so I think this is quite exciting because I've got lots of different perspectives who, um, that work in different areas. Um, one of them is Professor John Cryan from um, Ireland, um, from the University of Cork in Ireland. Um, and he works on this this concept called the microbiota gut-brain axis. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so he's really leading the way in this uh, area. So I found that really interesting and excited to interview John. Um, so the microbiota gut-brain axis concept um, suggests that there's, we've got this two-way, um, this what's called a bidirectional, so this two-way communication system between our guts, so this is our intestines, um, and our brains and so this is kind of motorway that leads from our brains our central nervous system to our um to our guts and um, importantly this 
microbes in our gut are thought to be able to secrete lots of different chemical compounds and be able to communicate with the brain. Um, and the brain is thought to be able to communicate as well with the microbes in our gut. Um, and so this can tell you something about, um, you know, some of the, the stories that might be in the book, some of the interesting stories, so how microbes might be able to influence our um, feeding decisions, um, the, the environments that we spend time in, um, you know, is, is, is when we crave chocolate and wine, is that due to the microbes? Because it's, these sorts of food products are rich in polyphenols, which are actually important for microbes that live in our bodies. Um, so there's lots of weird, weird and wonderful stories about the, yeah, the microbiota um, gut-brain axis. Um, and there's some interesting yeah. studies yeah, that I talk about how um, scientists have, transport, have um, uh, inoculated germ-free mice. So these are mice that are born with no microbes. Um, they've inoculated germ-free mice with the microbiome from obese and the microbiome from um, non-obese um, human beings. And they found that yeah, the, the, uh, the mice that were inoculated with the obese um, humans microbiome they actually start putting on weight themselves um, and so this shows you that the microbiome in our bodies could be partly responsible for obesity um, they've done similar things with mood as well so they've in, injected the microbiome from depressed people and from really happy people for example into germ-free mice and they found these significant differences then when the mm. where the mice themselves show these kind of the, the mouse's version of depression for example so again it can show you this link between the microbes in our body and depression and how we feel, for example. So um, all these weird and wonderful connections. Um, yeah. yeah, I also interviewed Graham Rock. So this is the person I spoke about earlier who put who likened the human immune system to a computer. So lots of interesting stuff on the immune system in the book. Mm. Um, I also interviewed some architects as well. So just to oh, sort cool. of, yeah, to, to, so some really cool architects and um designers in London who are working on what's called bio-integrated architecture or bio-integrated design and so this is if you imagine you know the desolate surfaces of our buildings they, they look quite lifeless you know it's concrete surfaces um but yeah so these these architects are trying to integrate biology within the architecture itself um so creating materials that yeah that promote colonization by microbes and by plants and things. So in the future, we could see our cities, um, you know, the walls and the roofs, etc., is a lot more green and a lot more um, supportive of nature and microbes. Um, so, yeah, lots of different things. As, as I've said, I speak about I microbes that. in outer space, um, how we sent microbes <laughs> really out cool. of space, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I love it. It's going to be really cool. I'm super excited to read it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Nice to hear. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just the architecture part is so interesting. And yeah. I think that is going to be just fascinating to find out like how that changes over time and yeah, exactly. in the future and how we'll integrate more um, biosurfaces and things like that. Yeah. So Yeah, exactly. And microbes that can produce electricity, these sorts of things. Mm. Yeah, lots of wow. Cool and interesting stories. Very, very cool. Mm. Well, um, we'll definitely have more information about that in the show notes and um, looking forward to that for sure. Awesome. So I feel like because you have such a such, such broad interest, this will be maybe a hard question for you, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> so what have you learned overall from your work that's changed the way you think about microbes in your daily life? 
think back to like before you were a microbiologist versus mm. now? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, hmm, I guess one of the main changes is I kind of, um, now I look at all individual, like individual plants or individual animals, I look at them as communities instead of uh, individual entities, you know, because I've learned mm. that the microbes inside plants' bodies, inside animals' bodies, they are really integral to um, the overall ecosystem of that body. Um, that yeah, I kind of, I kind of start viewing things as these, yeah, what's called a meta community. So, the host plus trillions of microbial organisms work in in a symbiotic relationship. Um, so that's one of the main things I think that I see. Um, which I hope more people start to think like that as well, because yeah. we kind of, um, yeah not missing the wood for the trees for example um, as the saying goes you know if we just think of a plant as it a single entity without the microbes and we try and restore our ecosystems without considering the roles of the microbes then it's likely mm. that our ecosystems are going to collapse and fail so yeah same yeah. with the human body if we view the human body as an ecosystem then um, it's, it's a complex thing to do but i think it's really important in order to understand our health um yeah yeah yeah, I, I think so. I really like that a lot. I think that's a neat way to think about it, that everything that you look at pretty much is an ecosystem. Mm. And um, I don't know, in a way, like enhances our lives to appreciate things a little bit more, seeing seeing kind of with our minds <laughs> the invisible because exactly. it's not like we can look at something and say, oh, there's microbes all over it. I see them, but it's like yeah. I know there are microbes all over those things and that they actually do impact the health of that plant or yeah. the health of my body. So Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most challenging things, isn't it? Being able to see the like yeah, making the invisible visible to people because mm -hmm. it's hard to appreciate what you can't see. Um I think Louis Pasteur said something like the infinitely small in nature um, are infinitely great or do infinitely mm. great things or something like that. Um, mm. Yeah, so everything that we can see is kind of intimately dependent on everything we can't see. Um, but yeah. it's hard to appreciate everything we can't see because we can't see it. <laughs> yep. But, yeah. Well, I think one way we can appreciate it is by doing something hands-on. And so <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, you're going to share an activity with us that can help us experience the microbial world in a hands-on way and actually kind of link the invisible, make it visible for mm -hmm. ourselves. So I'd love to hear what you've brought. Yeah, so I thought, because we spoke about forensic microbiology, which is a really cool subject, I thought we could potentially, you know, suggest to um, culture some microbes. Um, uh, so we could, t for example, get an item, so a coin, for example, um, take some alcohol wipes, clean the item. Um, maybe if you have two items, one of them's cleaned with the alcohol. The other one, we uh, sort of touch and put our fingers on so we, we're transferring microbes onto the item um and then i don't know if you want me to if we should explain how to create a culture medium now or if i should just send a protocol for this um, you can send a protocol if you yeah. want to i also have a blog post where i tell people where they can buy auger plates okay, petri dishes cool. or a simple protocol for making it but if you have yeah, your sure. own simple protocol that would be awesome too and i will include that in the okay. show notes because i'm just linking out to somebody else's blog post for now okay that sounds good yeah so if you use the protocol i can send one as well i'm happy to do that um yeah for creating a culture plate like you said um so then yeah so if we if you swab the item that's clean and then swab the item that you've touched your 
um, fingers on. So you put your fingers on, transfer the microbes, um, and then yeah, leave it out, leave it out to incubate for probably for a few days if you haven't got an incubator, which probably most people mm-hmm. have. Um, then you might see differences in the microbes that start forming in the uh, the petri dishes, um, and this can sort of the one hopefully the one that's contaminated with your fingers, um, you'll start to see more microbes than the one that isn't. Um, and this is just an example of trace evidence that you might leave behind uh, in a crime scene. Mm. You could swab your mobile phone, for example. You just you just need two items, one that's been cleaned with an alcohol substance and then one that you've yeah touched and contaminated and then yeah, see if there's any differences between the two. I love that. That'll be really fun, I think, um, for anyone who has an interest in forensics or just wants to have another way to explore microbes on petri dishes so (laughs) that's perfect thank you for bringing that um do you have any resources on this topic that you would like to recommend so listeners can go deeper um and then of course i will point people toward your book but are there any other resources um so there's no so the people i work with and be good to point to their work so um i work for loads of people in adelaide in australia um and so yeah i mean i could leave should i provide it as a kind of show notes thing and um, some of the the papers they've done so they're quite interested yeah that'd be great i can yeah, link I can out to those papers yeah mm-hmm. so i'll send a, a link to a load of papers that you might be interested in some that cover the roles of microbes and ecosystems and some that cover the roles of microbes in our health um i mean some of the books that are quite interesting on microbes and there's the kind of classics now like ed yong's book i contain multitudes um one of my friends and mm-hmm. colleagues in America, Susan Prescott and Alan Logan, they've got a book called Secret Life of Your Microbiome. That's quite interesting. Um, and yeah, my website's got lots of different things. I write a blog on there as well. So that's jakemrobinson.com. You can check that out as well. Great. Well, this is awesome. Okay, so where can everyone find, follow, and connect with you? Besides, you did mention your website, but where else are you on the internet? Um, yeah, so mostly most activities on the websites if you head there, or you can follow me on Twitter. That's just um, um, at underscore Jake underscore Robinson. I'm on there as well. So yeah, it'd be great to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jake. This has been fascinating. We covered so much. I've loved this conversation. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks a lot, Justine. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joyful Microbe Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to help others who love microbes to find the podcast, then please leave a rating and a review for the show. And tell a friend. To learn more about the Joyful Microbe, head on over to joyfulmicrobe.com where you will find the show notes and all the links and resources mentioned. If you love Joyful Microbe and would like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a virtual tip through coffee. The link is in the show notes and on joyfulmicrobe.com at the bottom of the page. Thanks again, microbe friends. Talk to you next time.